Welcome to Impact Church Online. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. If this is your very first time, will you give us a thumbs up or you can give us a heart? Yeah, I might not be really good at making those with my hands. You can also send us a comment or a message. We would love to get connected with you. Now for everyone, we have an encouraging service for you. We have some worship. So we want to encourage you to enter into the presence of God wherever you might be. We also have an encouraging word from our pastor, Pastor Donna. So let's check it out. And, and I want to just go ahead and give you a heads up. Uh, he, well, the, the 10 here have their communion but uh, elements, but I'm going to ask you if you're watching from home to go ahead and get your elements ready. We're going to have communion at the end of the message today. So God is so good, but but I want to talk about Passover, and this is Passover week to us, and you know, as we enter Passover week, it's important that we understand that what a very important event this was, not just from historical perspective, not just from thousands of years ago, but what it means to us today. And you know, it's a beautiful Old Testament picture of, of what God's plan is for the redemption of mankind. It's a picture of what God has restored back to us through Christ. So if we just look at Passover as a historical event, we're going to miss the very importance of what God intended for us to learn and the message he wanted us to get through Passover. And I believe that the 2020 Passover is uh, especially important. Maybe it's because of all the things that we're going through. Not that it's any different than any other year, but it's the, you know, we're, we're, we actually have a plague in the earth today. And it's over uh, most of the nations, if I'm not mistaken. And it's captured the attention of the world and the concern of the world. And we pray for that. And But, you know, the world is in bondage. E- Israel was in bondage to Egypt. We're in bondage to fear in many cases. We're not, but a lot of the world is in bondage to fear. We see the fear that's coming out through the fear messages that are coming out through the the television and the newspapers and the magazines and all the articles and you know we're focusing on the number of of deaths which we should be careful we're not saying that but should we also be focusing and thanking God for the number of people that survive and that and that have responded positively to this and but God sent plagues in the Old Testament time you know and and the nation of Israel had been in bondage for 430 years in Egypt that's a long time to be in bondage 430 years you know, sometime theologians say around 1446 B.C. is when the Exodus actually occurred. And just imagine being in bondage for 430 years and the slave mentality that you must have. No one, no one uh, could make their own decisions about anything. I remember we had a lady in our church one time, beautiful lady who had been delivered from drug addiction. And she had spent 12 years in prison because of her drug addiction and various things. I remember her standing right here and she was just sobbing. She said, when, when I came out of prison after 12 years, I had no one, I had no choices to make. They made every decision for me. They told me when I got up, when I went to bed, what I ate, what I didn't eat, when I could go take a bath, when I didn't. And she said the first time that I think it was Walmart she went into and she saw all the different choices of ketchup that she had. And she almost had a panic attack because she said she had such a mentality, a prison mentality, a slavery mentality, she did not know how to make a simple choice. And when we understand this, we can might understand why is it that God had to show himself so powerful because he wasn't just showing it for the Egyptians, he was also showing it for the Israelites. The Israelites had to make some choices. They had to make some decisions. And and the plagues affected not only Egypt but Israel until God said enough and we've got our land of Goshen people. We we see that in the scripture. And and I believe that's something God spoke to us. The church is supposed to be a land of Goshen people in the in the earth today. But I believe God also showed the the uh, or revealed his plagues or to reveal his power, to reveal his covenant nature. 
and his desire to love and to care and to protect people. And I believe all people are created in God's image. Even the Egyptians were created in God's image. And God cares about the Egyptians just like he cares about the lost today. So we don't want to get so smug that we think we're in this little inner circle of the church. We're God's chosen. We are God's chosen. But the world is God's chosen. For God so loved the world. And our job as the church is to repent so we can get revival going and we can have reformation going again. And the lost can be saved. You know, even when the church, uh, Israel, the church in the wilderness, exited out of Exodus, out of uh, Egypt, that some of the Egyptians went with them. Some of the Egyptians went with them because they saw the mighty works of God. They had respect and they feared the, the hand of God. And so the Passover has many, many, many messages for us today. And, and just to look at the similarity between the Lord's Passover, which is what we're, we're going to be looking at, and the work that Jesus did just very quickly. And I know you probably know this, but just some very key facts here. Number one is on the 10th day during the time of Israel in Egypt, on the 10th day they were to select an unblemished lamb, the 10th day of the month. Well, on the 10th day is when Jesus entered Jerusalem. What a coincidence, right? What a coincidence. Oh, now, they were to examine that lamb for five days. So from day 10 to day 14, they were to examine the lamb to make sure that there was no spots hidden. Well, from day 10 to day 14, Jesus was examined by the Romans and by the Jews. And then on day 14, they were to bring the lamb to the threshold of the home, and they were to slay the lamb. Jesus was crucified on the same day at exactly the same time that the Passover lambs were being sacrifice killed what a coincidence right and then they were to collect the blood in a basin and apply the blood to the doorpost to protect the people that were inside the home and the blood of jesus is to be applied to our hearts and to our lives to protect us and to keep us and salvation comes only through the blood of jesus and if we look at, as I said, if we look at these great feasts of God, there's three primary feasts, and you know them as well as that. We've done a lot of teaching here on these things, on these feasts and their purposes. We see that, number one, they do have a historical significance, but they also have a prophetic significance. Every one of the feasts that God has is a picture of a finished work of Christ for us, for the church. But we also see that it has a personal significance in the life of the believer. It has a very personal significance. And each work fulfilled by Christ is for the benefit of the church. It's for the benefit of the church. And there's a powerful message revealed to us of what the Passover really means, not just, what's that, 3,500 years ago, but today. What does it mean for you and for I? What does it mean for you and for me? What does it mean? What does it mean in the life of how can we walk? How can we walk victoriously? How can it be significant to me today? And so I was just thinking about all of this, and I thought, well, let's look and see what was actually done with the Passover that Jesus completed. You know, there was the first Passover, which was the lamb. There were multiple lambs that were that were slain through the ages. But then the final lamb, the once and for all Passover, was taken care of 2,000 years ago in about a week. We don't, we don't need any more lambs slain. He is the final, he's the perfect lamb, the spotless lamb. And, and, it, and 1 John 3, 8 tells us that Jesus came for one purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Now, if you, can, if you can listen in a couple of weeks, if you can be with us in a couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about what Satan really did in the garden, what he really did to mankind in the garden. And we say, well, we know what he did. He kicked him out of the garden. No, there's, it's much, much deeper than that. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. 
But also, as we look at Passover, we will see there are some very key significant things that have been restored to the life of the believer. And I've got five things this morning I want us to look at. And number one is, it was the beginning of a new life. In the Old Testament, it was the beginning of the new life. In the New Testament, it was the beginning of a new life. We see in the Old Testament that in Exodus 12, 2, the Lord told Moses, he says, from now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. They were coming out of bondage. It was a totally new life for them. They were no longer in bondage to the, to the uh, Egyptians. And when we become believers, when we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, when we make that, that, apply that blood to our life, we are no longer in bondage to the works of the enemy. We are no longer in bondage to what, to the lies and the deceits of the enemy. And in Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen, it says Jesus makes us a new creation. See, old things have passed away; all things become new. All things become new when we get born again. How many of us? You think about it. How many of us? It seems like somebody just turned the lights on in your life. You know, I had a radical, radical transformation or salvation experience. It literally was like someone walked into my life and turned the lights on. And many of us that have experienced something, but it should be that way. When we're, we're in Christ, we're no longer the old person. Anything that was in the old is now gone. Everything is new to us. I remember back in the, uh, I guess, early 80s, I was doing a little ministry down at a halfway house in Charlotte. And there was a young girl there who had, uh, they were, this was a house where they would come out of prison and kind of a, it was kind of a stepping stone to get back out into life. So they could get jobs and they could do all of these things. So we had Bible studies, I think it was every Monday night, and and this uh, young lady was there. And now this is not a statement for or against tattoos, okay? It's not about tattoos. But she was covered from, from her shoulder to her. There was really hardly any uh, amount of skin on her arms that you could see that wasn't tattooed. She was so hard, you could look at her face, it was, like, it was just like uh, steel or iron. Her face was so hard. She was so angry at life and so angry at the world. And she'd had a bad life. She was raised in a bad home environment. But you know, this young lady got gloriously saved. She, I remember one Monday night, she received Jesus as the Lord, her Lord and Savior. The next week, I hardly recognized her. Her countenance was so soft. It was so sweet. And one of the first things she wanted to do was get rid of these tattoos. Now, here again, it's not about or for tattoos, but what the tattoos represented was the old life to her. See, she got all these tattoos. I think she said she got most of them in prison. I don't know how they do that. But she said she got most of them in prison. But see, it represented the old life, and she wanted the new life. Everything was new to her now. But see, the enemy will put his mark upon us that only the blood of Jesus can remove and wash off. I don't know if she ever got those tattoos. It didn't matter to me. She was an incredibly beautiful creation. She became hungry for God and hungry for the Word of God. You know, we've had uh, Randy Greer, and we've talked about him a lot in our church. He was a felon that was in prison with no chance of parole. He, he was so bad. No chance of parole, it said. But he got gloriously saved. The Lord visited him in a car on his last prison escape. And he told him, if you don't turn around, if you don't turn yourself in, this is the last time that I will deal with you. So he goes into the prison. He stays there for a couple of more years, and he just begins to fall in love with Jesus. And you know God pulled him out of that prison? He had all of his rights restored, and now he's an evangelist that travels all over the nation and all over the world. See what God can do? He, we, get, we get that new life in Christ that only he can bring. And Jesus is that Passover lamb that was slain for us once and for all. Hebrews 10.10 10 says, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. 
You know, sometimes we think that we have to keep running back to the altar. And my husband was one of those. He said every, every Sunday he'd lead the charge to the altar because he lived under such guilt and condemnation. You know, the Bible tells us that we repent and we, when we're washed clean of the blood. Now, if we sin, we also can repent and we need to repent. We need to repent when we have sinned. But we can do it just that quickly. We don't have to live under condemnation and guilt, right? That's what Jesus has done for us. So the first is he's restored new life. Number two is that he restored relationship with God. He restored relationship with God. I love what it says in Exodus chapter 3. It's such a beautiful thing. And the Lord is speaking to Moses after the burning bush experience. And he said to Moses, you know, he says, I, I, see, I see their pain. I, I see their oppression. I, I hear their cries and I feel their suffering. Let me tell you, God sees your oppression. He hears your cries and he feels your suffering today. And we, and that same God, and then this is what he said. He didn't just say, well, that's too bad. You know, they really deserve what they got. And they've been bad. They rejected me. They've been in idolatry, all of this. He didn't say that at all. He says, I've come to take them out. Let me tell you, God has come to call his covenant people out because we're in relationship with him. He's called us out of that place of bondage. And this is where he's putting us into a land flowing with milk and honey. See, God always takes us out to put us in. He takes us out of bondage to put us into plenty. He takes us out of bondage to put us into freedom. That's what Passover is all about. And Jesus has set us apart. It also says in the book of Exodus that God told, to, told Moses to tell Pharaoh, you tell him to let my people go that they might come and worship me. See, God wants a people set apart to bring worship to him. And that's what we're supposed to be doing as a church, to bring worship to God. And, and we're our members of his body. That's what the word of God tells us. We are the body of Christ. We are restored for purpose and for destiny. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that even before the foundations of the earth that we had a, a purpose and a plan that God established. We're his workmanship, his word of work of art. See, God has relationship with us. We're restored for a purpose. And it tells us in Ephesians 3.10, the purpose of the church is to reveal to the spiritual powers the manifold wisdom of God. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. Are we revealing to the powers and principalities the manifold wisdom and power of God in the earth? See, we have the authority to hold back this coronavirus, just like Jesus held back the storms when they were in the boat, right? You know, and I, I love what he said. He said, you know, why are you guys afraid? Speak to the wind. And he tells us in, in, in Mark, he says, speak to the mountain. Don't deny the mountain. Don't pretend like it's not there. Speak to the mountain. Just deny its right to be in our life. And I love what Wayne said. The body of Christ, there, there should not have sickness in the body of Christ if we're doing what we should be doing. Right? But God is our healer. We live in a broken environment and all of this. But God, but God is our healer. And he has promised healing. If you know, He'll have a plan for your healing if he doesn't have the miracle. He always has a plan. Many times he'll have the miracle, but he'll always have a plan. And that plan might mean just putting into play in our life some common sense behaviors like cutting back on our eating, exercising, getting rest, these kind of things that our natural body was created to do, right? So God created us to have relationship. The third thing that God did with Passover is he restored his manifest presence. He restored, I'm not talking about an omnipresence. We know God is everywhere, right? Well, what is a manifest presence? A manifest presence is where you feel God, which is where something happens when he shows up. I'm telling you, during worship, 
I hate that the camera's so close this morning because I don't know what my face looks like with makeup and all, but I was just weeping because the presence of God was so intense in here. The manifest presence of God at night. And then when they began to sing the song, you're the God of miracles, the God, you're doing miracles out there. Maybe in here too, we have people in our church who are, are sick with cancers. They need healing and they're, God, you're the God of miracles. And it's the manifest presence of God. And when he shows up, let me tell you, something happens and something changes when God shows up. And we should not be sad. Let me tell you, if you're, well, I shouldn't say that. I'm not going to say that. But we should, we should be craving the presence of Almighty God. I will say it. If you're going to a place where the presence of God isn't there, you need to get out. You're wasting your time. Right? You're wasting your time if the presence of God is not there. It's a tangible presence. And we see in, in Exodus chapter 13 that God's presence was there as a cloud in the day and a fire at night. Right? Well, we have that same presence in us today by the Holy Spirit. We're baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire, right? So there should be something inside of us. When we walk into a room, things should change. When we come around people, people should say, there's something different about you. Are they saying that? Is there something different? Or do we just blend in with the world? If we're blending with the world, we've never met him. We've never met him. Is that too hard? That's what the Word of God says. That's what the Word of God says. I remember years ago, we had a friend here, Falma Rufus. She's out in Texas. She's a psalmist, but she, she's this incredible woman of God. And she told the story of going into this furniture store one day. And, and she said she was walking around, and she looked, and there was this guy behind her. And she thought, well, that looks strange. And she go to another department, and there was this guy behind her, same guy. And she said he followed her all over the store. And finally she stopped, and she says, what is it you want? He said, I want what you have. I want what you have. Do we have enough of the aroma of God coming off of us that people would say, I want what you have? See, the world, the world needs to see the church at peace during this time. We don't need to be running around afraid like the rest of the world. We need to be, we need to be a place of hope for the world. That's what we're supposed to be. We are that dwelling place of God. It tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 3.16 that, that we, we are this temple of God, that we, that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Well, what's that doing for us? Are we living a holy, set-apart, separate life that people can come to us and say, I need what you have? I want what you have? We also know that the presence of God is what separates us from all other faiths or religions. In Exodus 33.16, Moses said, if you don't go with us, we're not going. How will people know? How will people know unless your presence goes with us? How will they know that we're any different if your presence doesn't go with us? We're called to be the visible presence of God in the earth. We're called to represent the, the church and the kingdom of God in the earth. The church is called to represent the kingdom of God in the church. Are we doing that? How well are we doing that? Are we making a difference? Number four. God has called us to have restored identity, restored identity. We deal with so many people through the counseling, even in the church and Genesis, that, that most of the time the issue with especially believers is they don't know who they are. They do not know who they are. And when God called the nation of Israel out of bondage, he set, he set them aside and he gave them that identity as his covenant people. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. We are his covenant people. This, is, this was Satan's lie, that they were slaves. But God says, no, you're great. When God delivered them, they went from oppression to destiny. They went from poverty to wealth. They went from self-rejection to acceptance. 
This is what God does for us. God reclaimed his people. I love it. Again, I want to re- I just want to repeat this. In Exodus 3, 8, he says, I'm coming down and I'm going to deliver them out to deliver them into a place flowing with milk and honey. That's what our God did. And Jesus restored, in Romans 8, 29, it says that we are the, we are the brethren of Christ. Have I lost my sound? Sounds like I've lost the sound. Okay. That we are the firstborn. He is the firstborn of many brethren. We are the brothers and sisters of Christ. We're the family of God. It tells us in Revelations 1, 6 that we are kings and priests. We are kings and priests. What is your identity? Are we walking like kings and priests? Are we walking like slaves? Are we allowing the devil to tell us that we're not good enough? That we can't make a choice? You know, he told the, he told the, the nation of Israel, he said, I'm setting before you today life and death, blessing, curse, you choose. God has given to us, he has given to us that freedom of choice to, to choose him. Again, I want to say in 1 John 3, 8, it says the reason God, that God sent Jesus, the reason Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil. To destroy the works of the devil. And I also want to tell us that only with a God identity can we accomplish a God purpose and destiny. In Genesis 1, 28, it says that God blessed mankind. God bless mankind. If you know what that word means in the Hebrew, it's the word barak, B-A-R-A-K. And this, let, me, let me tell you what it means. In, this is the theological word book of the Old Testament. It means to endue with power for, listen to this, for success, prosperity, fecundity, which is, which is producing life, offspring, and longevity. He has endued us with power for success, prosperity, fecundity, and longevity what what this is really saying is god has placed within each one of us a potential for success that comes with our god identity but outside of if we're not walking in that god identity we're not walking in that blessing every person here has a potential for success and that potential potential is activated by faith and by applying the blood of jesus to our lives so whatever we're struggling with, he says, you, I've given to you the potential to be successful. And that's why he can say in Psalm 1, what you put your hands to will prosper. That's why he can say that. That's why he told Joshua in one day, he says, you repeat the word day and don't let it depart from your mouth. He said, then you're going to make your way prosperous and successful. Because he's placed inside of each one of us the potential for success. Are we living up to our potential? And lastly, he has restored freedom. We are no longer slaves. I love the story of the Red Sea when God parted the waters for the children of Israel. And the same, the path of of deliverance he made was the same path that the enemy was captured up in. The enemy was swallowed up in the very waters that God parted for his people. We talk a lot about 2 Chronicles 20 with um, uh, Jehoshaphat. And we talk about how when the people began to praise God and how as soon as they began to praise God, the scripture says that God sent an ambushment into the enemy's camp and they became so confused that they began to turn on themselves and they annihilated themselves. What if the entire church would do this for this coronavirus? What if the entire church began to worship and praise God and God would turn the enemies into confusion and this virus would just dissipate and just go away? I'm expecting something like that to happen. Wouldn't that be an incredible thing? Just to look up and say, wow, to get up in the morning. We don't know what's happened, but these numbers are really dropping. Why? Because the church did something. The church prayed. The church repented. The church, the church sought God's face. We turned from our ways. 
So we are no longer slaves. We're no longer in bondage to the enemy. And we have that dignity of freedom. We have the dignity of choice. We have the dignity of believing what God says and that we can be free and we can, and he gives to us the power not only to be free, but to stay free. You understand what I'm saying? He gave us the power to be free and also to stay free. That's what Jesus did for we don't we're not a victim to the enemy. See, the victory is ours to lose, not to win. And if we're walking in defeat, if we're walking with a slavery mentality, where I'm just, you know, I'm just lost, I'm just set up here, you know, the devil, I, I can't help my flesh. I've had people, Christians, tell me, well, you know, I gotta give in to the, the flesh. This is just a natural desire that I have. Well, it's also an ungodly, unholy desire. And God says it's sin, so you better get rid of it, right? And He's given us the ability to walk in victory over some of these sins. But as, as free people, we have the ability to develop our gifts and our talents to use for the glory of God and for the purposes he created us to be living. He, I'm going to tell you, he, I tell people all the time, you've got seeds of greatness inside of you. Don't die with your seeds still in you. Don't die with your seeds of greatness still in you. Understand that you're no longer in slavery to the lies of the enemy who's telling you you're not enough. You're not good enough. You're never going to make it. Who told you you could do this? So many people have their dreams destroyed by the people that are closest to them. Well, let me tell you, you're free now. You're free to do everything God created you to be and do. Romans 8, 31 says we're more than conquerors. Let's say what God says about us. Luke 10, 19 says he's given to us all power over the enemy. Colossians 2, 15 says he's disarmed the rulers and the authorities. He made a public disgrace of them. Why don't we make a public disgrace of them? What by walking in victory? Mark 16, 18 says we're going to trample on snakes and scorpions and nothing will harm us. Luke 4, 18, we love this scripture. You know, he says, I've come and I've given hope to the poor. I've opened up the blinded eyes. He said, I've given freedom to those that are in prison and I've healed those who have been bruised by life. That's what Jesus said he was anointed to do. We are anointed also with that same anointing of Holy Spirit to bring that to a world that is hurting and broken. This is why we do the things that we do. You know, so many people, we get, we get a victory. We had a victory in, a, in someone's life a, a week or so ago, and we said, and one of the counselors said, this is why I do what I do. You might have 10 that fall by the wayside, but if you get that one victory, this is why I do what I do. That one person who's going to change the life of their children, their grandchildren, because they chose to make a right choice. They made a right decision. Remember, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil in our life. We have that same authority, that same power over the enemy we are more than conquerors more than a conqueror luke twenty two fourteen. i want us to remember i want us to close with communion of the first sunday of each month we we take communion as a habit in our church and this is the first sunday but it's also a good sunday to take communion and and it, you know we i believe that as we're not supposed to be bringing in lambs and sheep sheep and goats and all these other things and killing them and and all of this that went on in the old testament time because jesus was that final sacrifice but he did tell us in luke twenty two fourteen. he says and when the hour came he reclined at a table and the apostles were with him and he said to them i have earnestly desire to eat this passover with you before i suffer now i don't want to get into this too deep but let me tell you jesus never ate the passover with his disciples why? Because he was the Passover lamb. He couldn't eat the Passover and be the Passover. The lambs had not yet been killed until the next day. 
So Jesus says, I have desired so earnestly that I might eat this Passover with you. Think about that. Maybe that's another time for another study. It says, for I tell you, I will not eat until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. As Christians, we celebrate the Passover by remembering the communion. We celebrate the Passover by remembering what Christ did for us. And I want you to take your bread, and I want you to break it. And as you're breaking it, I want you to think, this is the body of Jesus broken for me. Broken for me. Think about his body broken, whipped, torn so badly that it says it did not even resemble human form. How badly could that be? Let's partake of the, of the bread. This is that same body that was striped for your healing. And if some of you out there and our Impact Church family, some of you in here, our 10, are struggling with illnesses and sickness in your body, as you take that bread, I want you to thank God. Thank you, God, what you did for me. Thank you, God, that this was for my healing. This was for my life. This is for my restoration. And then it says, and he took the cup. And we know that the cup represents the blood of Jesus. You know, that blood is just as powerful today as it was 2,000 years ago. It's just as powerful. And it still forgives and it still transforms lives. And it's the blood. See, there is no forgiveness of sin without the blood. There is no redemption without the blood. Signing our name on a sheet of paper doesn't make us a believer doesn't make us a part of God's family. Coming to church on Sunday when we can doesn't make us a believer. It's only by having that blood applied to our lives, just as we have, just as the Passover Israelites had that blood applied to their doorstep, doorpost. Have we applied that blood to our heart, to our life? Have we said, by faith, Christ, you are mine. You are my Passover lamb. I receive the sacrifice that you made for me. Let's partake of the juice. And I believe as often as we do this, we are remembering the great price that he paid during this week, this Passion Week. We're remembering the great price of the broken body and the shed blood for you and for me. You know, he didn't have to do it, but he did. I just got a correction. He did have to do it because of the love that he had for us. He had to do it because of the love that he had for us. So God, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you did for us. Thank you for the price that you paid for us, oh God. Lord, and I thank you as all of us and those watching by Facebook Live, Lord, or partaking of the communion. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you're bringing healing into their bodies. Father, some out there need to be healed in their spirit. Some of them need to know you as Lord and Savior. I pray, Father God, that the Holy Spirit of God will convict and draw. 
And all this required is just to say, God, I need you. Save me. I need you, Lord. That's all that's required. And some of those out there may have emotional sicknesses. And God, we just pray for healing in their emotions. For the despair, the shame, the doubt, the guilt, the fear. The anxiety and the depression, Father. These are all diseases of the enemy. God, and your blood has healed. Your body has healed these diseases. God, you came to bring hope. Thank you, God. And then there are those with physical illnesses in their body. God, we so so thank you for the price you paid for our healing. We declare life and health and wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. Thank you, God. And we declare in Jesus' name that we are whole, we are healed, and we are victorious. And everyone said, amen. Be blessed.